Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, and Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going this week? Well, Kate, I gave birth to a baby, and I'm going to name it Avocado Pear. (laughs) I gave birth to a baby called Democracy in (laughs) certain areas of the country. I was about to say, uh, there's a couple states where that is is not applicable, Yeah, including my home state. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see. It's been very exciting. Actually, one of my uh, my state senator, the, the race for that is still going. They're counting. The last count that was announced was down by 12. Jeez. With uh with like before they counted the thousands of provisional and uh mail in ballots. Sure. So yeah, that one I just keep checking, like nothing nothing new, nothing, nothing new. Why would there be something new? I need to, I, I'm aware that it's gonna take over the weekend for these things. But it doesn't stop me from still scanning. Um thank you all for everybody who went out and voted. I'm not gonna ask you who you voted for. It doesn't matter. Thank you for voting. That's the nice thing about uh, you know, these discussions is I'm confident <laughs> that if we everybody actually votes, not worried about uh my side losing. You know what I mean? Uh people who are worried about their side losing are the ones trying to keep people from voting. So yeah. Anyways, that's a conversation for another time. There was some, some TV news this week as well. Uh, I did not get as much viewing in as I normally would have. I, I we're going to get that to that in our weekly TV, but that's because of, I was not sleeping or doing anything, but working and watching TV on election day. Um, and uh, other things as well, but there apparently was some big TV news. Yeah, so probably the biggest of the bigs is that there's a Breaking Bad sequel movie about the fate of Jesse Pinkman, um, like, in development. Um, Whether or not it's going to be theatrical or, like, a made-for-TV movie is yet to be determined. Um, But, yeah, Vince Gilligan is attached, and all I can say is I don't care. I don't care at all. I mean, I'm going to watch it. Don't get me wrong. I'm oh, sure it'll I'm not be good. Even watch it. Yeah. I, but, I like Aaron Paul a lot, but I just don't care. Yeah. No, I, I will I watch care. pretty much anything Vince Gilligan is interested in making. I'm not watching Better Call Saul right now because of character reasons. Um, just because, but because I'm too invested in the character of Kim Wexler, that's why I'm not watching. Because <laughs> it was because I care too I think much. That's super fair. I think that's super duper fair. So what that um, means is that you know, Vince, the next thing Vince Gilligan wants to do, I will definitely be watching. Um, even though I don't care about what happens, like I, that finale is terrific. It doesn't. The best finale is two episodes before that, but it's a really good second finale. Uh, it doesn't need anything else. Uh, but if hey, I'll, I'll check it out. Uh, the the news I'm much more invested in is the the sad news this week. Right. So the sad news is that um, Andrew Lincoln's doing no <laughs> more on that in a bit. <laughs> yeah. No. The sad news is that Reverie and Good Behavior were both canceled by NBC and TNT respectively this week, which is disappointing. Um, especially good especially behavior. Good behavior. Yeah. Especially good behavior. Reverie. Eh, I'm sad because they were like clearly gearing up for something, but good behavior is just kind of a, it was inevitable because it should have been on already. Yeah. <laughs> I needed more and out. Yeah. In that van. Yeah. Just constantly in that yeah. van. Yeah. 
Just a whole web series about that. I definitely would watch that. Um, okay, let's cleanse the palate with, I think, maybe some interesting news. I don't know if it's good news, but they're, they're rebooting the 4400 at CW. This is interesting to me uh, because I really enjoyed the 4400. I remember watching it the first time around. Uh, but I feel like it got it had a really small audience. Yeah. But a really good concept. Very well done. And I think that it's niche enough that people, if they do this right, if CW does this right, people might not know. And it's amazing the extent to which genre audiences will not spoil things if they, as a unit, they decide that. Yeah. Like, it's it's amazing how effective that can be. I remember um, there was, like, a, like, it was, like, either Sherlock or, or Doctor Who or something. Not a single spoiler for, like, weeks between the airing of a huge episode at, like, one of the Comic-Cons, and then when it came on TV, and, like, thousands of people there, and nobody, not one spoiler leaked. Um, There have been other times as well where it's, like, um, oh, Vampire Diaries? Huge, huge thing that happens that was obviously in the books, and, like, I was active, um, not, like, in niche Vampire Diaries communities, but online and certainly amongst people who watch the show and nobody spoiled that everybody's like you're good and like game of thrones you could find spoilers but people who read the books generally were not dicks about it you know what i mean sure so if they can manage to do that right i feel like that could be a really compelling thing to watch live you know mm-hmm. what I mean? An experience sure. that again, um, and of course, forty four hundred will always be to me the the project that introduced me to Mahershala Ali. So I will always be grateful for that. That's right, he was on that. I forgot. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. My person is kind of interested in this. Um, because she was a big fan of the USA show and uh, in its original incarnation. I'm mildly interested because I actually never watched it when it was on USA. Okay. Um, my interest is entirely in the fact that due to the fact that they have an overall deal at CBS with CBS Studios is that two of the folks behind um, Limitless who worked on Limitless are spearheading this project, which I go, oh, really? Okay. That has me interested. Well done. That could be really good. Also, I can think of several characters that McDormand would be good for if they wanted to bring him back. Mm -hmm. Or not bring him back, but cast him. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, goodness knows Murphy Brown's probably not going to last much longer. Cause yeah. It's, just, it's not good. Yeah. I'm struggling. I'm still going. Anyway. Anyways. Uh, yeah. yeah. Anyway. So, so do you know much about this? Do you, do you know what I'm obliquely referencing or no? I mean, I know, like, the basic premise of it, but that's it. That's okay. That's literally all I know about See? it. See? That's fun for me. So I will yeah. say nothing else. And uh, it'll come up when it, you know, when it re- if it actually goes, you know, if it actually gets uh, made. We'll talk about yeah. that then. Um, let us know, listeners, what you think about a 4400 reboot. Because, like, it, the original is good. So it's mm-hmm. not like, like, the usual thing I'm looking for is a show that has a good idea that, for whatever reason, doesn't really work. And that's the perfect thing to reboot. And I think the original for this one does work. But uh, I feel like it could, like, it's not like some crystal gem. <laughs> Oops. Uh, but I'll take it. Uh, crystal gem of a thing that is, you're not going to be able to recapture in the way that, um, Everybody who tried to make Lost again failed, you right. know? Uh, so and are still failing. And are still failing. I feel like there's a way to do this that could be really good or could be terrible. We'll see. Um, yeah. Our last news, uh, TV news here for this week uh, is the Walking Dead thing. So we have to be thoughtful about this, Noel. 
How yeah. much do we want to say? Because this is a spoiler thing for people who maybe are a little bit behind. But lots of people have been talking about it. Right. I feel like it's been everywhere. Um, and we're not even spoiling what I think is actually like the actual thing that happens in this. Yeah. For me, based on what I read as well, we're not spoiling the actually interesting thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I guess like a Walking Dead character who left the show is coming back to do like three movies instead. Yeah. The actor left the yeah. show and yeah. we all know what that usually means. <laughs> what that means yeah. for the character. Uh, but they're going to do a series of TV movies, uh, with the actor and the character to air at some point in the future. And that this, I mean, I think narratively structure wise for the show, it's very stupid, but, yeah. uh, Super financially, stupid. It makes a lot of sense. And I, if yeah. it goes well, that's the kind of thing I expect to see several other big shows do. Yeah. I mean, it's a good way, especially now, considering that, like, you want that shelf life, uh, especially on streaming, of having some other forms of content after you finish a season. Yeah. And what better way to do that than return to doing made-for-TV movies type spinoffs? I mean, those were bread and butter in the 80s and 90s mm-hmm. um, and the 70s, too, to a certain extent. Of like, all right, well, Angela Lensbury just doesn't want to do Murder, She Wrote anymore, but she's game to do like three movies. So let's just do that. Cagney huh. Lacey had them. Rockford Files had them. So Columbo. It's just That's what Columbo, Columbo was exactly. for years. Yeah. So, I mean, there's definitely precedent for this. This isn't a new concept. Um, but that's what the internet says. Come on. Yeah. Well, the internet is ahistorical. So <laughs> don't well listen know. to the internet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, it's it's interesting, uh, and it, I think perhaps the most interesting thing is just, of course, the everything that's old is new, <laughs> yeah, yeah, element. So, uh, we'll see what happens with it. I'm not going to tune in for them, but I imagine people who like The Walking Dead will. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask as a lapsed Walking Dead viewer, in part, what you thought about this, but also what you thought about what they actually did at the end of this. Yeah, it's very <laughs> stupid. I read, okay, I read what, I... what happened, and it's very yeah. stupid and. <laughs> Like, yeah. Okay, that's enough. Enough enough said on that. Um, At the end of the show, we're talking about Homecoming, which is on Amazon. It's it's the Julia Roberts show uh, adapted from a uh, podcast, actually. Yeah, Gimlet Media Podcast. Yeah, we'll be talking about that one. And uh, before we go to our weekend TV, we had some listener feedback. Uh, We heard from Brandy on Twitter, uh, who said, I really agreed with what you both said about The Good Place, though I still have high hopes for the rest of the season. Spoiler alert, Brandy, I've seen the next two. It's back on track. We're talking about it more in a bit. Very excited. Okay. Um, (laughs) And thank you for still listening. Yay. We always enjoy hearing from Brandy. We also always enjoy hearing from Vince, who posted a lengthy comment on the the website, which is super entertaining. And I'm going to try to contain myself and just read excerpts. So I recommend go televerse.org, look at our post for uh, uh, Daredevil Season 3. Uh, so the, the, the main thrust of the comment is, how is it all caps? No one f- he shoots Kingpin in the head. How? Does it make any sense? Guns. No one has guns except for what's his name, the FBI agent. No one he has, has guns. All like he has all these FBI agents in his pocket, and yeah. he's like making them kill people and do horrible. Why does none of them kill him? It doesn't make any sense. Uh, and I I hear you, Vince. I have nothing to because because the Punisher wasn't in this season. That's why because it breaks the show if they <laughs> yeah. do, even though that makes total sense. Um, so just you know, like 
this is an issue that I was having with Claws as well. Uh, this last season where we had the previous baddies uh, from any of the different, you know, malicious uh, entities, I guess, gangs and things. There was a strong sense of a hierarchy that if they just if someone just took out the whoever was in charge, they had loyal followers who would make them pay. You don't get the sense of that in any meaningful way with Daredevil. You don't get a kind of sense of a loyalty that would transition beyond the immediate death of Kingpin, at least in, in my opinion. Um, and, and so it absolutely is a problem. And uh, yeah, the, it's, so Vince's issue with this like character who's always three steps ahead and they know everything and they've thought of everything you could possibly, it just, it's, it's overpowered. And so it's not interesting. It's the, you know, it's anytime you you overpower a character, whether it's a villain or a hero, Superman, a lot of people have trouble making Superman interesting for the same reason. Uh, then everything becomes about, you know, just basically doing the Star Wars New Hope run, right? And trying to find the one little possible thing that could work, you know, it just feels very contrived. So uh, I'm with you, Vince, and because the story needs it to is yeah. the only answer I have. <laughs> Yeah, no, that is, that's the answer. And I have less of an issue with the fact that he's such a good planner than most. Um, it doesn't really bother me. Because uh, the rest of the season, I think, benefits from the fact that they can't take him down immediately. So, but logically, yes. Yes. Um, he said, I was shocked to hear about the cancellations for the MCU shows. Um, and the, but the, but thought that the finale for Daredevil season three really felt like a serious finale. That's that kind of worked. Um, yeah. he says, I, I thought about why I like Daredevil so much or, or more specifically why I don't like Jessica Jones or Iron Fist. Just kidding. We all know why we don't like Iron Fist. Sick burn. Well done. Um, but, uh, I do, I, I'm with you about Charlie Cox, Vince. He was talked about how he's just, he's, it's really easy to overlook how significant, Cox's performance is to the success of the show. Um, so I think that's actually an excellent point. And you, you know, we all know I like Jessica Jones more than more than you do, Vince, and, and more than most of these shows. So I'm not quite with you on that. But Vince liked the second season of Daredevil. He liked the the hand, he liked all the ninjas, he liked all that stuff. And so that's great. Uh, I really didn't, but if you did, that's wonderful. So you do you. I, yeah, it's yeah. Yeah. It's it's fine. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I will, however, absolutely co-sign and agree with you on your last point that, like the the center of the show and the reason it's so so for me uh, something that I do did come back to for season three is that central friendship of Matt and Foggy and Karen and the, having such a strong core there really worked uh, to to keep me coming back to the show in a way that Jessica Jones hasn't established. And uh, and in these other shows haven't established as much. And that's just because Matt is a really likable character. And with Cox's central performance, it's a really mm -hmm. endearing character. Whereas Jessica Jones needs to be a dick for that show yeah. to kind of be true to, to her. So it, it takes a lot more effort to buy into other people sticking around um, for, for her. And then, I mean, Iron Fist, come on. Uh, Luke Cage is a different, you know, depends on how you feel about that. Um, but with Rosario Dawson's limited schedule, <laughs> that kind of takes away the core of of that same dynamic on that show. So, so I do I do hear what you're saying, Vincent, and I, and I absolutely agree about that. Um, any other Daredevil thoughts? No, 
Okay, well, on that note, we will take a break and come back with a truncated Weekend TV, but still lots of things to talk about for Weekend TV. So we'll listen to a little music and be right back after this. That was a very notable piece of music from the week's TV by Sigur Ross, of course, featured in the Always Sunny in Philadelphia finale, which we will kick off our week of comedy and genre, Week of TV, discussing. Um, after that, we'll have Fresh Off the Boat, Driver's Eddie, Good Place, The Worst Possible Use of Free Will, which is a lovely title. I'll talk a bit about the Outlander premiere, America the Beautiful and Charmed, Exercise Your Demons, and we'll run things out with DC's Legend of Tomorrow, Dancing Queen. So first up is It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Mac Finds His Pride. So uh, what do you know about this episode? I know that there's a dance number, and that's the extent of what it is. And I know that the dance number is apparently really good. Yeah. Okay. So this is an episode I had been hearing about before the whole season started, like right after TCAs, because at TCAs, the cast of It's Always Sunny did a table read of the episode and then showed, screened the dance sequence at the end. And the episode is all about um, it's pride at, in Philadelphia and they're trying to, you know, make some cash by doing a parade in uh, a float in the parade. And they want to have Mac dancing on, on the uh, float and he's still uh, not comfortable with that. So it's all about him trying to come to terms with his identity as a gay man and come out to his father. And and then and he's paired with Frank throughout the episode. There's uh, It's basically like, it's about 20 minutes long, the episode. The first 15 minutes is that. And it's various levels of successful and what you would pretty much expect um, for an episode of Always Sunny. So like they, Frank being the bastion of good ideas that he is takes Mac to an S&M dungeon and then to a gay brunch. Cause that's, you know, to help him find his identity as a gay person. Um, Cause that's f- what Frank thinks gay people are. <laughs> that's all he knows. And that's his associations. And Mac doesn't fit in uh, either place or feel comfortable and all that stuff. And then eventually um, they, He's been working on this thing for a while for how he's going to come out to his dad. And it culminates in they, they, you know, Frank figures out how to make it work. And Frank's magical piles of money come into, into, into play here in a very convenient and helpful way. And so then the ending of the episode, the last five minutes, is this extended dance sequence that is very much in the style of something like a So You Think You Can Dance contemporary number. Um, and when you're watching it, Initially, you're just kind of waiting for the joke, waiting for, you know, and it just doesn't come. And it's just this really beautiful, very honest, 
and very uh, conflicted mode of expression for Mac, who's a fucking idiot. Uh, so <laughs> I, it was interesting. I enjoyed Dennis Perkins' review over the AV Club. I enjoyed the other reviews I read. I don't think this is the kind of thing that changes the show. I don't think it's particularly... Um, I mean, I don't think it's like I saw some people saying it's like one of the great TV moments of all. I was like, no, no, it's very good. It, it's really powerful and it's very effective. And they do a good job of choreography, <laughs> choreographing around the fact that uh, Ra, uh, Rob McElhaney is uh, not a dancer, um, but he got an insane shape to do this and worked his ass off for like, I think it was like seven months or something to, to make this happen. And it's really powerful and compelling. The The dancer who's with him, Kylie something, is a ballerina. She's terrific. And the, the, the choreography is terrific as well. And so just to give this character a moment of, of just clarity, because he's, he's, just, he's an idiot. He's terrible at expressing himself throughout the run of the show. Um, and he tries to express, like describe this, what this dance sequence is like throughout the episode. And it doesn't make any sense in a very in character way. And then when you see it, it absolutely does. And it really makes sense. And you get to watch Frank break through and understand. And, and so it was, it's really great. And, uh, you know, as an episode, I'd been hearing hyped up for months now. Uh, they absolutely nailed it. I thought that for me, they threaded the needle between, um, offensive or pandering or earnest and out of character and out of touch with the show. It felt like an always sunny show and it felt like an always sunny finale in that way of like not caring if they <laughs> break the show or if people don't get it. Like I thought it was really terrific. And um, it doesn't like, it is a great musical dance number for a non-dancer. And if P I, I worry that people will hear critics and fans of the show hyping it up too much and then watch it and be like oh it's fine it's you know it's not bad it's not like the greatest dance thing you'll ever see but it's really terrific and uh, a lovely thing that they did on the show in season 13 after after a hit and miss hit and miss season uh so something that absolutely i recommend people go seek out See what you think. Um, and it's something that will definitely be, you know, it's very fresh, but it'll still be in contention at the end of the year for me for best sequences or surprises or any of that stuff. Yeah. If you watched Always Sunny, if you saw this finale, listeners, reach out. Let me know. Uh, I would love to hear your thoughts. I will probably keep searching up people's uh, reactions and reviews for a while. Um, so hopefully... Yeah, hopefully some of our listeners out there actually still watch Always Sunny. I was talking with for the show Ellison Shoemaker, and we were talking about this. I was like, yeah, I like there aren't many of us, I don't think, who are in the middle of the Venn diagram of So You Think You Can Dance, and It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, <laughs> and I am one of them. <laughs> so, yeah, no, that's 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 super true, I'm sure. <laughs> it's very wheelhouse. Uh, anyways, uh, let's move on to our next episode in the Week in Comedy, and that is Fresh Off the Boat, Driver's Eddie, and I thought this was a really lovely episode, and one that I particularly enjoyed, uh, especially one of the ones that was more Eddie-centric. I, one of the Eddie-centric ones I've enjoyed more in in a while. So, what did you think of this episode? I did. I I did. I did think about this episode. No, <laughs> <laughs> no I did like this episode as well. I, I appreciated that they handled it with like a really deft touch in terms of 
recognizing that Lewis can't protect Eddie from racism, basically. And the degree to which he can do that by teaching Eddie to become the best damn driver on the road is, I think, just a... It's a really good kind of sentiment because it allows him to sort of prepare Eddie in a way that defies a stereotype, but also reinforces just this idea of like, this is how this is. And we need to try to avoid giving a reason, basically, even though for most people there is, they don't need a reason, Uh, which comes through in this episode in particular uh, with the cop who just immediately assumes that Lewis caused an accident and had also seen Rush Hour, which they all acknowledge was also very good. Um, (laughs) And Rush Hour is fine. Um, so I think it's I think it's overall just a really good episode, and I think it's a I appreciate like you said that it's one of these Eddie episodes that is both a really good but also just like really quiet, which is kind of rare I think as well for the show, and I really liked that aspect of it as well. So I thought it was a really successful episode. I thought like the subplots didn't always like kind of land for me um, with the whole. Evan and Emery sort of like warring for uh, grandmother's affection slash involvement um, because that just seemed kind of out of left field for me. But the Eddie and Lewis stuff, I thought was just generally really, really strong. How did you feel about it? Yeah, I thought it was good. And uh, I like that um, when they decide, when Jessica decides they're going to do the driver's ad thing, they're like, they're really going to do it. And it's like, I don't know how you didn't smell my shampoo. I'm right outside your window. <laughs> it was terrific. Uh, I do think that they are having trouble with Evan and knowing how to use him. And uh-huh. I think they're doing a better job with Emery, but they they need to transition out of cutesy stuff, which is not funny anymore for Evan. And they've they've had trouble with that the last couple of seasons. And I hope that they start, you know, trying to help that actor stretch or just coming up with some other ideas because they've just gone back to this well a lot. And I, they, whatever for whatever reason, they're not spending time on letting him grow. Last season, they really made an effort with Emery with his year of bad luck um, to, to explore some different things. So I hope that that... As fun as it is to have a reliable punch line just waiting with the like the the homeowners association ladies and everything with like there's some wells that they really like to go to or have available to them for him but uh, I feel like they're they're starting to to wear out that character in a way that is disappointing because he should be a lot more fun so I hope that the writers have some ideas for him coming in the next few episodes. Yeah, I agree. Um, and it's in a weird position where they can't... I feel like they don't know how to grow him because they've, like, bumped him up in grade or something. And yeah. they don't know what to do with that yet. And he doesn't really have... Like, neither of them, neither Evan or Emery, really have much of a school life, per se. Uh, which also limits their ability to grow as well. They don't have anyone outside the family, really, to engage with in the way that Eddie at least has his group of friends to bounce things around with or to compare himself to and to deal with directly. And Evan and Emery don't have that, which is why I think in part, like this in particular felt a little dry because it's another Evan and Emery sort of conflict, but it's not even a compelling one. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I did enjoy the flashbacks, though, and the stories. Those were delightful. Oh, they can keep God. those coming. Yeah, no, I always, I just want a lot of those. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I would definitely take a spinoff episode just mm-hmm. of that. Uh, speaking of spinoff episodes, The Good Place this week had the worst possible use of free will, which kind of, you know, which, which shows us scenes we hadn't seen from previous uh, iterations of the 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 plan or whatever, the uh, the torture of Michael, different uh, reboots. And I thought it actually worked really well. You talked about the last episode of the podcast, last podcast, that, you know, I was skeptical about where they were going with this Cheaty and Eleanor or, um, twist at the end of the episode. But I, you know, they addressed that by recommitting to the, one of the central tenets of the show, which is this discussion of philosophy and meaning and what it, you know, what the search for, uh, I guess your identity and your ability to, to be something other than you have been means. Uh, so, so instead of, Focusing in on the will they want they they focused in on determinism <laughs> and that was great I really enjoyed this episode plus that hair which wait which hair do you mean the bald hair I mean the frizz yeah yeah the no she's she's bald Kate how yeah. does she look bald <laughs> <laughs> yeah with just like the strands of burnt yeah that was it yeah. was good it was good um and also kudos to Kristen Ball, Bell for even just letting them do that to her because mm-hmm. um, some people would not allow that to happen. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> I think one of the reasons why this episode works so well, apart from, like you said, the will they, won't they sort of OTP type of concept is the fact that it feeds into everything that they've done up to this season in terms of, all right, what, what are, what do our actions really determine about what impact we have on ourselves and those around us? And also coming off the heels of, the story with uh, Camilla and with um, Eleanor's mom, it's also very much, well, how much can we legitimately change these people or how much are they governed by certain other actions? So, and are those actions locked in by some other force? And can we break out of those things for our own free will, basically? And so all of that leading up to this particular concept of, Eleanor going into full determinism mode to, as a plot point of denial. Um, I think it's just, it's really elegant way of sort of providing a button to everything that's come before in this season. And it also illustrates why determinism is just really terrible when it's exercised by someone who has like a philosophy 101 understanding of determinism. <laughs> um, and so I think that it's just really... It's just really, it's also just really sweet as well. And I think that's the other thing that, again, plays into this show's sort of mold of like, yeah, we're going to be philosophical, but we're also going to really interrogate what this particular concept means for Eleanor. And the way in which they do that by having Tahani be a mirror centaur and all this other kind of weird stuff, but still also exhibit how do exhibits on how she has routinely expressed free will and that she still has that option and that 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 is still available uh i think it's just really really great and so it felt like a really nice sort of um like i said it's it's just a really good button and it marks i hope based on what you've already said a turning point going forward uh for this season yeah the all i'll say about the next episode which have you watched it yet or no 
No, um, we've. I keep forgetting to remind my person we have screeners, so we don't watch them. <laughs> okay. uh, there is a uh, guest appearance, uh, guest character uh, in the next episode that's okay. really terrific, and they there's a little shout out to Lost and and some other stuff with it as well. Um, so I won't spoil who's in the cast for next week, uh, but uh, a really fun, uh, yeah, fun, a fun casting choice and one that works well and um what can i say they uh like you said they get that ferrari out of the garage so they do they got the ferrari out of the garage and i'm very i'm very excited about that yeah. since supergirl put her in the garage permanently yeah, this yeah, week. yeah. took her to the, <laughs> to the crusher yeah um the uh the not to say that she's she's not in very much but i like how there's yeah. just like not bothering to explain what we mean listeners know what we mean um yeah. so yeah that character is in a little bit next week and hopefully we'll be in more in the future and um yeah i don't want to it's just there's a there's a fun thing that that happens and then uh i look i want more screeners <laughs> Now I'm probably going to make my person watch this tonight and yeah. before we do Filmstruck Friday. You should do that. Um, which is what we do on yeah. Fridays now before they take Filmstruck away from us. Tears. <laughs> Tears. Um, is there a particular, like, would you like to see this device return where they can you know, give memories from the bad place? I like the concept and I think it... I think it's sort of fun on like a couple of levels. One, it allows them to use jokes that they just didn't have an opportunity to use that they probably have a plethora of. Um, And so again, like the mirror centaur is a really good example of that. Um, But the other thing is that it, it won't necessarily recontextualize things, but it does allow them to sort of regain some of their experiences, which I think is important. Yeah. Um. On um, basically, like to the point that Chidi makes in season two about the fact that they keep reliving things without being able to learn from them. Basically, karma doesn't function in this setup, so they can't learn from anything. And I like that idea a lot, mm-hmm. and that they can see these past experiences and now learn from them retroactively. I think is a really interesting idea. So hopefully that they play with that a little bit more. Yeah. And. It- I would be, I would be good with one of two ways of going. Uh, one being to contrive some reason for them to give the 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 gang the same memories we have as viewers. Sure, <laughs> but only that because like too much would fry their brains or whatever. I don't know. Um, or to bring this out, but sparingly. Yeah. I think it'd be very easy for this to become a crutch. Um, oh yeah, sure. So. I'm good either way, but I, but like you said, taking, stripping them of their memories and their experiences uh, is a really difficult storytelling thing because the audience knows more than they do. And we're just, they're just letting us infer stuff. Like the characters are just, they shouldn't be the people we've watched this whole time because they have different experiences shaping them, but they just don't think about that. (laughs) And it would be nice if they could kind of, meld the streams by giving them just their first time through memories or the, the first and the last time. I don't know. That would be enough, but uh, we'll see what they do with it. I, I I thought it worked really well here. And again, I, I like how they're handling the OTP developments from the previous episode here and more on the good place next week. Likely. Okay. Well, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that about wanting to use it sparingly. Like my person's immediate response to this was, 
we can see the Tahani soulmate sequence now. Clearly, right? Yeah, let's do that. Where is that? <laughs> let's do a Christmas special. That's just that. That I would yeah. be all for that. Yeah. There's only a handful of episodes left. We're already up to episode eight, so mm-hmm. I'm gonna miss it when it's gone. Oh, but then Brooklyn Nine Nine comes back on January 10th, and that fills that void. It is already in the calendar. I'm very excited <laughs> about that. Oh, looking forward to that. Hopefully, it gets good ratings. I like it. It needs to break the Scrubs and other such shows trend of moving to a new network and then yeah. tanking in the ratings. But we'll we'll see what happens. Our next episode is the Outlander premiere, America the Beautiful. So we're in season four now, and and uh, Claire and Jamie and their entourage are now in. Uh, I think they're in North Carolina. Um, okay, what in, year are they in now? It's like seven years before the revolution. Okay. So it's not immediately before. Yeah, so uh, 1769, 1770. Something like that, yes. Yeah. So we'll. I would not be surprised if we jump forward another span of years, but, you know, we'll see. There is stuff that I really enjoyed about this premiere. Um, I like, you know, I enjoy the cast. I enjoy the characters. So um, there's some, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to have it back. However, mm-hmm. I don't care for the new villain who okay. I, I haven't read the books, but I am, you know, led to believe that the, the villain of this premiere is somebody who will be a really significant fixture of the show for quite a while. And um, in a different way to Blackjack, which I think is essential, but he's also just like a psychopath who decides he's going to fixate on them. And I think that that is too easy sure and uh so what when when we're watching them you know have terrible things happen to them uh in this episode it's really frustrating to know that okay this is what we're like there's enough going on that they have to deal with be especially claire being in this time period and both of them being in a completely foreign land obviously she knows america but she doesn't know this america so uh that let that be the source of your conflict at least for a while and i'm guessing they are introducing this villain and then they'll bring it back later in the you know later in the season but um like going to hang out with jamie's aunt the the plantation owner with all the slaves like that's enough drama you don't need more you don't need to goose it you know with this extra stuff and it just felt it just really was frustrating to watch um part of why it's frustrating to watch is because i'm very invested in these characters and they've been through so much already that they don't need them to go through more um so that's part of it but um yeah it's just it it feels like not trusting your audience and I know it's not that. I know it's that they're adapting very popular and beloved books. And so you're stuck with the villain <laughs> from these books. You know, there's not much you can do about that. You could downplay it, but then you're going to alienate your a big part of your fan base. And when I say popular books, I mean like national survey of books, second most popular after To Kill a Mockingbird, Beating Harry Potter. Like these are really popular books. So I get it. But um. Yeah, it's disappointing, I I guess. What the things that were not disappointing was the lengthy discussion of PTSD and trauma that we see amongst two male characters, both of whom have been traumatized and raped over the course of the the span of the show. And so to watch this, like this, this really, you know, emotional scene um, between these two characters as one of them gets triggered digging a grave, uh, I was I was really appreciative that they made the time for that they made sure they included it spoiler alert it'll shock no one to to know that there is more rape headed our way in this season of outlander 
Um, so, so making sure that in your premiere that you directly address and engage with lingering years long, lingering trauma, um, I think is just, is a very welcome act of good faith. So good job showrunners with that. Less good job showrunners with like every time they have ancient people doing the stone circle dance thing, right? The, the, the druids got to like be all ethereal flowy white gowns and and gliding and twirling and then they go to jamaica and here they're in ancient america somewhere and there's lots of grunting and there's lots of rattling bones and it's just like why what what is why is this this way and also why are there violins in ancient like America? Like, why is that happening? Why aren't they singing? I think they're supposed to be pre-verbal or something, which doesn't make any sense. I don't know why they're supposed to be pre-verbal. Um, but it's just like, Cho, if you're going to do this, do better. Do better. Be Please be better. Um, so that's all I have. That, and then I should mention, I should mention the use of Ray Charles at the end of the episode, which was really, really neat. I actually really liked it. Um, so yeah, they're getting you know, attacked by pirates on a river in North Carolina and they play America the Beautiful from Ray Charles and drop out the the sound from the this action of the scene, which is something they have only done. They'll use modern music and not like Claire's time period music a few times in the whole run of the show. And I thought it was actually really effective. Um, it was really neat. So I'll be thinking about that, that music choice for a while. So um, I think that's all I have for Outlander. Unless you have any questions about a show you don't watch. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I, I apologize for sort of like laughing quietly when you mentioned that there was more rape on the horizon. Yeah. Um, since like I saw I saw a trailer for the premiere um, while I was watching something else and I just went, oh, I wonder who's going to rape Jamie this season was sort of my response to the yeah. trailer. And I just went, that's a terrible callous response, Noel. But also that is this show sometimes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't I I don't know. I think. Jamie is out of the woods in like okay. as far as the series goes because like sh- you know he's been through more than enough for any character over the span of any right. series. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but um, no, it's something that I, I just I reached out to to from the show Allison Shoemaker, of course, co-host of uh, Podlander Drugcast and Outlander Podcast, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's a lovely uh, podcast. Any of you Outlander fans out there, go check it out. It's really fun. Um, I was like, I just need you to tell me the level of sexual abuse and trauma in this season so that I know whether I'm going to watch it. And I know mm-hmm. whether I should um, like it, it, like, so I know that it's coming. So I know if I'm going to turn things off or if I'm, you know, that kind of a thing. And it's, the show is very much actively and enga- always actively engaging with this like reality of no rape was a constant threat and is yeah. a constant threat. And so like, I, it's hard for me to be angry at it. The show for constantly, evoking fear of and then the actual threat of rape when that's all that's honest yeah you know and it it, they go out of their way to not to to try to not seem like they're exploiting that but then sometimes it still feels just because of the culture of tv and the way that that violence against particularly against women is is monetized and is uh uh, is shot and is uh, exploited um it's just tricky so you know I have very conflicted feelings about that, as I'm sure it's clear. Uh, but no, like, I I don't feel bad. It's, you know, I, I hear where you're coming from and don't feel bad about that, having that reaction. Okay. 
Thanks. Yeah. I yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. Um, why don't you tell me about Charmed? Um, exercise your demons. Okay, I wanted to mention Charmed for two reasons. First of all, I'm glad I'm seeing a lot of really positive reactions to Charmed in general from people on Twitter. And maybe it's just my Twitter bubble, but I'm glad people are enjoying it. Um, I'm having some trouble with it just because I don't know how good of actors the leads are. I kind of need them to be better actors. Um, and maybe it's that they're not given the right direction or they're not given the best scripts. Like, I don't know exactly where the fault is, but I, and it also could just be like, you know, rose colored glasses. I remember much more convincing line deliveries and, 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 and just choices, acting choices in the original show in the early seasons, at least Um, like when it first started. And so I'm having, some trouble with with some of the yeah really investing so there's that but I will say some of the choices I'm very much enjoying such as the choice to this episode have the um the elders show up for a thing um and the elder who shows up is this um this white woman who's very old um but looks fabulous and basically is like looks rich and she's got like this <clears throat> fabulous white dress like you know like she's I don't know. It's very much rich white lady who's who's like working to establish um, like microloans in developing countries and all this like very white feminism stuff. Uh, and one of her abilities is to take away people's voices. And it, in the episode, she literally takes the voice of the women of color, uh, which is away from them. So they can't talk back to her and they can't do what she doesn't like. And um, they end, and she does end up in the, by the end of the episode as an ally and working with them and, and everything. But I was just like, I see you charmed and I uh-huh. like it. <laughs> I am all for that. Keep up the criticisms of, you know, the super fucked up history and current reality, in many places of, of white feminism. And uh, I liked that they did actually have the, that elder as, an ally, but then you still saw her fall into that habit and be very much, I think, not even aware of what she was doing and what this particular way that what that means, you know, but the show is clearly very aware. So I I was enjoying that a little nod of the hat, tip of the hat to Charmed for that. Uh, But let's move on to our last episode in the week in TV. And that's the Legends of Tomorrow Dancing Queen. And I guess we know what's going on so they can keep their actors around. Are you pro or con really bending over backwards to, to keep, you know, not Amaya on the, in the cast? Um, so I like the concept that they had, that they do to keep Maisie Richardson Sellers, who plays, who played Amaya and is now playing Charlie. Mm -hmm. Um, I like the concept of like, oh, we're going to do a shapeshifter. Oh, that's a fun idea. But we're also going to like take away the shapeshifter's abilities and using Constantine's Hocus Pocus. And we also can't take it back. And because magic yeah and um all of that i think works fine but the the problem i have is that i really like the performance from angeli mohindra who plays charlie for the majority of the episode yeah and i just went oh i really like this performance and i i mean i'm excited to see what Maisie richardson sellers does but at the same time, I really liked what I was getting for the first 45 minutes of this episode mm-hmm. without with commercials. Um, so I'm just kind of like, I don't know that we needed to do this because um, I liked that performance a lot. 
Um, but it'll be on the on the flip side of that, the narrative and character ramifications of this. I think will be interesting to see how they grapple with having someone with Amaya's face on board who's not Amaya, which is the entire reason why Sarah's just like, why don't you just stay here, buddy? Yeah, Nate, you just stay. You're good. <laughs> you just, you're, good. You're, you're good. You're good right here. Yeah. Um, yeah, you just stay here, bud. You keep um, fighting Audrey, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think works, it justifies keeping Nate off the ship. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I think that there's a lack of really selling this idea of Amaya as the moral compass. Um, at least through, like, the run of the episode, that this is what causes them to pause a little bit. Um, because it's not like she died. (laughs) She just left. (laughs) Um, so I I think it's a little squishy. Um, but overall, in the grand scope of how Legends of Tomorrow operates, I think this is pretty solid. Yeah, and I think it's a really good way to keep the actor and not the character, because, like, they were stretching it thin last season, trying to come up with excuses for her to be on, when they had clearly established a uh, ticking clock on how long she could be on the show. Um, so so this works much better, and I actually, for me, it was actually really effective when they switched to her, when the shapeshifter mm-hmm. went to, you know, like, yeah. that actually, they the actor sold, sold it, the whole cast sold it and um because we i was invested enough in charlie at that point that you know like it landed something like this needs to land so that you can excuse how clearly contrived it is to keep the actor around um but i thought that on the whole it did it did really work and um yeah i just they've done they've done way stupider things so this is a this is a better way to do it if you're going to keep your cast and i also let's just be frank here it was a very white dude cast without her so i'm glad that 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 you know because they clearly want to bring the actor back anyways but um it's changing the ratio so it's not just a bunch of white guys uh, and and z (laughs) like that that that's good um so so keeping the game together we'll see what happens i don't know why she's on the ship i guess other than them wanting to keep an eye on her but wouldn't she just like run away Right, she's just going to be stuck looking like Amaya, so... She doesn't have any powers. Yeah, she, they, I don't know which pronouns we should use for a... That's true. Good point. Um, Yeah, um, because I don't remember the Ray's conversation with Charlie well enough to say if... Yeah, anyway, um, that there's no reason for them to stay on the ship. So I feel like next the next couple episodes need to justify Charlie staying in Which, some way, shape, or form. I'm sure they will. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they will as well. I just I, I I just need that to be fleshed out. Yeah. I also liked the subplot with Constantine and and um and his mom. I like I continue to really like what they're doing with the character development and just having um you just bringing over the photo at the end there and just really stepping to the side of what a different like what flash would do team flash would do what team arrow would do they've really established the identity of this core group and how they interact and what it does feel like the kind of team sarah would lead you know what i mean um and so i appreciate that And, and it's interesting to me the the way that how much the whole dynamic clicked into place with zari like she, she like and bringing that character more to the forefront since the time loop episode last season, uh, strengthening the connection with her and Sarah last week and just in general, um, and 
having her be so different than a lot of the other characters that get slotted into that kind of role on the other CW superhero shows. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been interesting. They've had, they've really popped Ray back and also uh, Mick back in their time. Um, and I think that's mostly worked so far. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Oh, and I think your point about like the team clicking, I think is really good. And the idea that this would be a team that Sarah would lead, uh, just because this episode's such a good example of, and Allison, Allison uh, made this point in her review over at TV club is that when Ray behaves like Ray, everything works out. <laughs> And I, that comes, I mean, that even like kind of carries through to a certain extent in like No Country for Old Dads last season as well, mm-hmm. but it really carries through here is like, apart from Charlie stealing his, his exosuit, yeah. um, he's able to steal corgis. He's, he's able to get away with everything, um, because he's just this, he's this good, good boy. Mm-hmm. And, that that kind of thing comes through, I think, really nicely. But I also think that the other point about the team is that there's a really good sort of triumvirate of like stability with Mick, Sarah, and Ray now. Mm-hmm. And that 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 whole sequence of all right, do you want to do the wet work or do you want to QB when she, um, Sarah's talking to Mick is just like that relationship has had very little sort of like actual screen time spent developed. Mm-hmm. But the show is really subtly established basically Mick as the XO mm-hmm. of the ship. And I think that's just really delightful as like a way to fill that gap of, well, I don't have Leonard anymore, but Sarah's my boss now. But all this innate trust between the two of them that has sort of been really laid out since season two? Which season had Eobard? Yeah, season two, after he betrayed everyone. Yeah. Um I think it's just come through, come through really clearly, but without like having to devote a lot of time to it, they just sort of decided and the two actors have just carried this off really well. Yeah. They're, they completely understand each other. In yeah, a way that, exactly. That so, so many other characters wouldn't. And you know, it's interesting to think what a different set of writers would do with these characters. They would absolutely make Ray the leader and yeah. Ray shouldn't be the leader. He's the, oh, no. he's the dork in the, in the lab. He just, Looks like Brandon Ralph, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so that, you know, that works much better. And so, and, and making both Ray and Nate just the dorks in the lab. Yeah. Is, is much more effective and, uh, mm-hmm. and bringing them in as needed. And, and the, the Ralph, I think also just gives a really terrific level of uncertainty mm-hmm. and reluctance to Ray that I think makes the character much more interesting. We we're talking, I was talking earlier about Superman, right? How it's so easy to make Superman a boring character. And there's a reason Brandon Roth was cast to play Superman because of how he looks. Um, but, but he was what, also really good as Superman. Yeah. He was also, he did a, he did a very good job. Um, but making that character, your, your boy scout, your, all these other things, not the leader. Yeah. And someone who knows that they probably shouldn't be the leader uh, for various reasons. I think, is really interesting and much more effective and not what a show like flash does and not what mm-hmm. supergirl does not you know the like the moral heart of the show is is not sarah <laughs> you yeah. know what i mean no. yeah. and that's no. great it, it, and that's you know and and the, the tension between that i think is much more interesting than what we see in other places so yeah we yeah, continue to to be very happily aboard the wave rider for legends tomorrow shocking no one 
Yeah, um, my last point, and this relates more to Supergirl, is the fact that I tweeted this, and I just want to reiterate it. I love that all the Arrowverse shows have decided, you know what? Bebo was a really good idea that our very silly sibling came up with, and we're just going to run with it. Yeah. And I'm just like, <laughs> I love that. I'm very happy about that. It's just like, Bebo exists across all Earths mm-hmm. and is beloved by all. Yeah. Yeah, well, and also has not <laughs> popped up, I don't think, on Black Lightning no, yet, no. which is... Yeah. Totally cool with me. I, I like yeah. the idea of Bebo just being like the the white character thing, you know, <laughs> like yeah. like uh, that's that's some white people nonsense. Yes, very possibly. Yeah. Um, uh, who? What show was that? Was it Blackish? Maybe that was Blackish talking about that. Um, yeah. But that feels very appropriate for the, like the universes they've created, and I look forward to spotting the Bebo in future episodes of all yeah. of the shows. So hopefully the crossover. Um, okay, yeah. what wins your week in TV? This week. Uh, Dancing Queen is kind of close. Um, I really liked Speechless this week. It was a very weird episode, and I liked that a lot. I like when they feel confident enough to go really weird. Um, particularly Ray's really terrible dream sequence. <laughs> um, <laughs> was just really great. Um, but, I mean, if only the worst possible use of free will hadn't been this week. But yeah. it was, so it's a good place. Uh, what about you? Um, well, I have to give a shout out to the Patink on Doctor Who, who is so cute and also so scary and like would absolutely cause you to die. But he was just hungry. He just needed to eat. Come on. <laughs> Chris Chimdall has some really weird Lilo and Stitch slash fiction that he's developed. And it's and it's weirding me out, Kate. It's weirding me out. Well, and there was the what was the there was another character people were comparing him to, which where I was like, yep, you're absolutely right. So Stitch is one. But there was another yeah. really prominent one that has slipped my memory should have written it down um and uh yeah delightful so much fun and appropriately like terrifying (laughs) so well done doctor who with the syringa conundrum um but i think i just give it to like the end of always sunny yeah i think that's fair go ahead Um, so yeah with the tip of the hat to good place which is terrific i really like that one i'm and i'm so more than even how much I liked The Good Place this week, I was so excited to be back fully on board and excited about the next episode. Like, I never I never lost faith in the writers and everything, because, I like, we talked about this last week. I'm sure they'll be, you know, that I'm just, I'm not excited about where it looks like we're going, but they've earned my trust over this time. So to, to be back excited about the rest of the season again, instead of, like, slightly trepidatious, is a really good feeling. So, um yeah, I but but I mean, like that end of Always Sunny was just wonderful. So I'm gonna give it to that. All that day, oh, I can't imagine doing it. They, it's like in a downpour of rain, so they're doing all these spins and twir- twirls and everything. Like it just in this insane downpour of rain, and uh, yeah, good job, good job, Always Sunny. Well done. Uh, now we'll take a break and we'll come back with our deep dive on Homecoming from Amazon Prime. We'll be right back after this. What happened to the fish? Uh, I got rid of them. Just figured it was for the best. I couldn't get into it. You were employed at the Homecoming Transitional Support Center? How do you feel? Happy. What we're seeking here is information. Information. What were your duties there? I don't know. 
You don't know. I know why I'm here. I want to be in compliance with all this. Compliance? Have you ever forgotten something? Something big? You think this is the place where they want to help us out? We're here to help them. Take care of him if you want. Look, we're here to help them. What did she know? You're worried. Aren't you? Yes, I am. That was the trailer for... I guess the only season that's I was gonna say season one, but just for homecoming. I mean the podcast has a second season, so who knows? Who knows? Okay. Which is yeah. on Amazon Prime and uh is that Julie Roberts show that based on that podcast. <laughs> we're back, I should say we're back of course with the televerse. This is Kate Calls Jones is ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And Noel, had you heard of Homecoming before the the trailers for this started to come out? Like did you had no. you heard of the podcast? I hadn't even heard of the podcast. Yeah, um, me neither. I I had I found out that it was a podcast literally while I was watching this. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I mentioned I was watching it in a Slack channel, and a friend of mine uh, was just like, "Oh yeah, no, my husband and I really both really like that podcast. It's got David Schwimmer on it and David Cross." <laughs> and I was just like, "Oh, okay." Oscar Isaac. I, yeah, and I asked. I actually asked her who Oscar Isaac played, and they, she said, "I don't know." And I just went, <laughs> "How do you not know?" <laughs> yeah. Um. So no, I had zero idea. Um. All I knew that this was a television series with Julia Roberts. I kind of forgot that the guy behind Mr. Robot was spearheading this, um, which made me incredibly trepidatious going forward. Mm. Um. Given my response to mr robot um mm-hmm. so yeah um now you didn't get to finish this though um no i've seen the first six of ten okay. because okay. i spent today transcribing mary did you know and it took well it took so long i don't even like that song and it took like all day and oh, i hope i'm sure my students will be very excited but yeah, sorry. It was a request from from the parents of one of my students to for them to play that at the next recital. So they will be able to play it, but I will not be able to give a full response to the entire season of Homeland. Not Homeland. Okay. Sorry, Homecoming. However, I did see the first six, uh, and you know, I was very because I was worried about because I was getting to like I had to watch it today, and I was like, oh, I know it's like ten or thirteen episodes, and it's a drama, so they're gonna be. I mean, I just don't have ten hours. Half hours. Like, was like oh, half hour show. Half hour drama and not like comedy drama, you know, blending things the way that HBO has done with several shows or like Atlanta has done. Um, straight yeah. up drama. And yeah. oh man, that 25 to like 35 minute t- runtime is delicious and works so very well for this show. Yeah, it does. It's probably apart from the aspect ratio stuff that they do, um, as a f- literal framing device in terms of helping you keep things 
in order, but also mm-hmm. something else, um, which is very clear from the start if you're a savvy viewer, um, just benefits everything really immensely, I think. And it 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 chugs thing it helps keep keep things moving really well, especially in sort of the early going, but also like a little bit later on after everything's been laid out a little bit or after you've caught on to what's going on, um, that there's, um, you, you appreciate the, um, the leanness basically. And I think that that really helps keep the show watchable. Yeah. Yeah. It, and when you start to get a sense of what's happening, uh, and what the, what's going on at homecoming, which we should give a brief synopsis. Premise, so, yeah. Uh, of of the show, it's uh, about Julie Roberts is a character who is uh, Heidi, who is a uh, like a therapist or counselor, caseworker is probably case like the worker. most yeah yeah uh, no therapy degrees, <laughs> no therapist degrees, no certifications. Well, she's got a she's got like a master's in social work. So. Yeah, but that's not a therapist. That's very no, different. it's not. But I mean, yeah, she anyway. has. So she is. It's not like she's just a random person, but she is yeah. not a doctor or anything like that. Um, but she, so she is working um, with uh, vets, American veterans with PTSD, um, helping them transition uh, to civilian life. And uh, the the show almost immediately establishes multiple time frames that it is happening in. So one time frame is when she is uh, working with this part- a particular set of veterans, and then there's someone investigating this group or this this. Uh, I guess, facility where she was working several years later in the future from our perspective. And then there's also um, just some back and forth with like, when things are. It's not like there's not some mystery to it or anything. But uh, but yeah, there's they, they kind of hop back and forth in different characters in different times. And uh, when, when you get a sense of what's happening and why there's an investigation and like what exactly all is, is going on and things start to click, it would be very easy for the show to get tiresome or to feel like it is stretching things out. And because there's a set number of characters that they're kind of following in tandem, the short runtime makes sure that doesn't happen. It makes sure that we don't get too far ahead of some of our characters, um, especially if they're married to a 10 episode structure for the season. And it also keeps us invested just enough in the right characters. It, th- there are times in this season, at least just in the first six episodes where you like, if I spent more time with some of these people, I would not be interested in them at all. <laughs> yeah, no, that's super fair. Um, especially probably true of like um, Barbie Cannaval's, um character, Colin. Yeah. Who Excellent is... performance, but no, yeah. like this is very much Carnival is like, I would like an Emmy, please and thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, is very much what this performance is, mm-hmm. um, and I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't get one. I feel like Roberts is a lock to get one just because she's Julia Roberts. Yeah, nomination um, at least. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that there's. I mean, we can talk about her in this kind of a role versus her star persona because that's basically what a lot of this trades on to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also she's been around so long that you can't not help but trade on it. Yeah. Um. Down to the fact that Dermot Mulroney plays her sort of estranged boyfriend, yeah. and I probably went. They got together. Yes, <laughs> they did it. It happened. For all of you who are not aware, Dermot Mulroney played the object of her affection in my best friend's wedding, 
Um, and spoiler alert, they did not end up together in that movie, mm-hmm. but they ended up together here for much worse. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But that I, the show is very much aware of the fact that they have Julia Roberts in their pocket and yeah. it's hard not to be aware of that. Yeah. No. And, and um, they, I think they use that well, they play with that cachet they very do. well. Um, and I look forward to, I mean, cause I, I know what happens that I, could we could discuss it and and I looked up what happens in the last handful of episodes that you would not feel like you needed to censor yourself, Noel. Um, and I look forward to seeing how they're going to play that and ways that they will embrace and push against her persona. And I think that's yeah. that's really terrific. Um, let me see what else can we say before we get into the spoilery spoils spoiler zone. Um, there's some of the writing that I thought was really not very good. Yep. And there's some that I think is terrific. And uh, when, like, there some of the the counseling sessions that we see with uh with our main guy Walter, there's I'm just like no person has ever spoken like that, ever. Certainly not with the very measured pause and like self interrupt. Like that's not the way people talk. Um, and that particular particular example I'm thinking of comes back in a very big way later in the season. So they want you to remember that conversation, but um, that it was just, that was a little disappointing. And it, it also does feel very Mr. Robot-y visually mm-hmm. in a way that was interesting, but then pretty quickly was very distracting. And I, I, I would have liked, I mean, like if, if I hadn't, if I'd been more engaged with, the writing throughout, if there weren't these little scenes that popped up that didn't feel, it just felt very writerly, then the visuals, right, would have really worked for me. Um, because every now and again, I was being taken out of the my investment in the characters by some of the writing, that made then the visuals feel more superficial. And, and so they kind of fed each other in a negative way there. And also, I do have negative connotations with Mr. Robot now <laughs> because of the way that that right. show developed. And so it was hard to take myself away from that. But they're, in general, um, I think if people don't have the baggage that, I don't know about you, but I certainly have for Mr. Robot, then that won't be an issue for them. I, in general, I think it looks really good. And um, we should talk a little about the music, talk about baggage, talk about the music as well. But um, the the visuals, I think, really work. I really enjoyed Shea Wiggum, too, and the, the some of the other ways that they use like costuming and architecture and and all that it's really interesting i think there's i feel like there's more there there here than there is in um in mr robot especially in the later seasons um and then of course we the the aspect ratio too right do do you have any thoughts on these yeah no i have lots of thoughts so i think that one of the things is like yes this is very driven by Ishmael's style that was honed basically on Mr. Robot. You you watch this. Ishmael directed all the episodes, and you you're very much aware that you're watching something that came yes, from I'm the guy who, yeah. who did Mr. Robot. It's very apparent from the sort of slightly over the shoulder shot shot reverse shot setup that he does mm-hmm. to um just sort of the emphasis on geometric shapes that come through really heavily especially um staircases got, <laughs> there's staircases there's a contrasting shot reverse shot where one character is in front of um triangles on top of each other and then another character is in front of squares on top of one another that is involved in a push zoom um as they have a realization um that is just all very him at the same time however 
because of how this show is operating in terms of genre trapping, um, is so heavily indebted to, say, paranoia thrillers from the 70s, but it's also really, which, again, is Mr. Robot to a certain degree, but it's also just so painfully heavily indebted to Hitchcock to shot uh Wiggum, who you mentioned, who's really good in this, I think, in a really sort of un- under um not under, but a very sort of thankless sort of role. Um there is a sequence in which he's investigating something in like episode eight or nine, and he falls down some stairs, Kate. Mm-hmm. And it's this and we watch him fall down the stairs the same way that we fall watch the uh detective fall down the stairs in Psycho. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so like right there is just an immediate call. But there's a number of these sorts of things down to basically the premise, um, feeling vaguely Hitchcockian in plenty of ways. And even the score, to get to your point about the music, routinely moves back and forth between this sort of classic Bernard Herrmann sort of tone to the deploying sort of um, jazz acoustics, which are very common in Mister Robot to a certain degree. Um, so all of it feels very of a piece, but at the same time, there is an amalgamation of other influences much more uh, much more readily apparent, I think, than they were necessarily in the Robot, which I think helps the show sort of chug along, at least for me. But at the same time, when I finished it, I just went, I just want to go back and watch a bunch of Hitchcock now. Yeah. And that's sort of not the response you want, I think, is like, no, I want to think about this show some more. It's, no, I'd rather go watch the other guy who did this 60, 70, 80 years ago and did it a little bit better. Yeah. Um, and with Cary Grant. <laughs> um, so I, I think that this is still something I definitely recommend. Um, like I even called my mom like around episode six or seven to say, this is something that you will enjoy yeah. and she will. And I think that this is something a lot of people will probably almost certainly enjoy if you can get past some of the, like the slow pacing at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, the beginning, if you are invested in the actors or in just the, like for me, the pacing at the beginning really worked because it gets you. It shows you the emphasis that Heidi places on her work with the various vets, but specifically with with um, veterans, I should say, Walter. With, with Walter. Um, and it, that's not what the show's going to be by episode 10. Yeah. Um, but because they spend so long just in very simple conversations, it makes you either think that's what the show is going to be. And then when it changes, then that's, you know, jarring, which fits with what the characters are experiencing. Or it just gets you invested in the characters. And for me, that really worked. And, you know, 25 minutes of that <laughs> is yeah. very different than 70 minutes of that. Uh, and some of those, you know, Mr. Robot runtimes. So so that that for me makes a big difference, too. But no, it, you know, it's that, um, you know, I, I'm, it brings to mind, you know, we were talking about Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. And when whenever you're doing references in your, your scoring, like there's a lot of like there's specific scoring choices from other famous movies throughout which is why i'm specifically referencing that but you said like the fall down the stairs for example um you want it to be something that adds nuance adds meaning and is not just hey that's that thing it's not just meta for the sake of meta um and doesn't distract and yeah they they're not choosing subtle things in this and so it's that it can make it distracting. Whereas, for example, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, 
I had no idea that the last outfit we see Sabrina in. Oh, it's, yeah, it's Rosemary's baby. It's Rosemary's yeah. baby. But yeah. when I know that, it it makes it better. It doesn't make yeah. it, it's not distracting. It like it makes sense yeah. with the show, with the the aesthetics of the show. It makes sense with the character developments over the course of the show and it just like fits everything else like it's a very natural thing so if you don't know it's rosemary's baby you're like oh that's that's a that's an interesting stylistic choice that fits with this this this, and that if you know it's rosemary's baby that adds new layers on top of that and reinforces rather than like you said making you want to go watch the hitchcock version and i do think that there's elements of the aping is supposed to provide commentary i think to a certain degree because Mm -hmm. he's he the director is nothing if not sort of like wanting to build on this sort of stuff in terms of like providing layers and providing a meta commentary basically of like Mm -hmm. no we know that you know and i know that you know type of thing um but i also think that it's one of those things where i already knew that Carrasco was sort of just a bumbling cog. They make that really explicit. He literally calls himself a cog. Mm-hmm. Um, so this idea that you need to in- run it home by doing a, frankly, kind of unnecessary Hitchcockian reference, like a direct lift, basically. It's not even a reference, it's a lift. Um, doesn't feel necessary, but it also just wants to really make sure that you get what they're going for. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's distracting, sometimes it's not, but it just kind of depends on the episode more than anything in this instance, I think. Yeah. Well, and there's also how much you're going to do that and whether, again, it adds to the experience or detracts from it. So if you're spending all of your time being like, ah, ah, you see the thing? And that, I know that you know that I know. Okay, I was so busy watching you congratulate yourself and me for catching your reference that I lost track of what was going on in the episode. Right, which doesn't really happen here, thankfully. But mm-hmm. I also think that you have a talented enough cast that is all is able to get past that sort of thing. Yeah, which is really important when you're doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, the, and let's talk a bit about the cast because you've got Julia Roberts, Sissy Spacek, Bobby Cannavale, Shea Wingham, uh, Wingham. Um, who else? Uh, Stephen uh, Stefan James, who plays Walter. Um, He's very good. He's a very good, um, like his big screen credit that most people will probably be like, oh, that's the kid from Degrassi, the next generation. Whereas I went, oh, that's the guy who played John Lewis in Selma. He was fabulous, uh-huh. is where I knew him from. And so he's very, very good here, I think. And I think like the cast generally across the board is really, really good. Um, so, I mean, they've got Frank Kranz for like five minutes and it's delightful. He popped up and was like, oh, it's Frank Kranz. First of all, yeah. looking good. Second of yeah. all, pulling it off his very yeah. scary character. No, um, it's a very it's a very good role for that type of thing for a character that doesn't show up ever again. Yeah. Memorable. Yeah. Memorable. Yeah. No, I was thinking though of Michael Hyatt, who pops up for mm-hmm. one scene. Uh, and I was like, say this, say, say your crazy girlfriend son. Um, <laughs> and then who's the actor who plays Walter's mom? Because I can't catch it and she's terrific i've seen her in so many things but i i don't remember her name so walter's mom is played by the terrific and the deeply talented marianne jean baptiste oh yeah yeah yeah. marianne jean baptiste what do i know her from you probably know her from like broadchurch um she was on broadchurch uh she was um also on let's see she did without a trace for a long time she did like seven seasons of without a trace yeah that's what i know her Um, from 
Yeah, and she was also in Blindspot for a little while. She was the um, like the FBI director yep. that oversaw their thing, uh, getting like supremely wasted in that role. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so she's been around for a while, but she's deeply, deeply talented. Yeah, you know, she's very good. <laughs> Lady uh, crushing it in a suit in in a position of authority is what I know her from. <laughs> yes, that's what she does. Yeah, yeah, she's very good at that. Um, and when she's in this, and she just shows up like. I'm here. I've got 28 papers. I can wait. Like I was, yeah. that was so good. It was very good. Um, yeah. The, the, I, I really hope that more shows, especially streaming shows follow this model, not just the time frame, but like this from again, not having seen the last few episodes, it feels like a very complete story. It yes. feels like um, at least six episodes in their pacing is right. Uh, I love the lengthy time frame. If you're going to be like this engrossing and the, the kind of thing that wants you to lean forward and stare at the screen, I hope more shows embrace the shorter time, run time uh, to do that. And um, it, it's also a good way to get these huge stars yeah. and be able to sh- film quick, quicker. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, take advantage and- of their abilities without and, and what they can offer without trading on it to such an extent that I mean I felt like I was pretty quickly in the character and not just watching the Julia Roberts show yeah and I think that that's I mean I think that's partially like the fact that I haven't seen Julia Roberts in anything since 2007 Kate I haven't mm-hmm. seen her in anything since Charlie Wilson's war basically just because mm-hmm. she's been picking projects that I just haven't been interested in watching um and so it was sort of like again that was 11 years ago so i haven't seen her basically in anything in a decade and so it was sort of like kind of remembering that she plays brittle really well Mm -hmm. which is something that she doesn't get an opportunity to play a lot um and that comes through with heidi a great deal um but also just like the way that they particularly in gosh i don't know which episode it is um, but it's after Heidi has sort of realized everything <laughs> that is happening um, that they weaponize basically that Julia Roberts smile yeah. um, in a way that just is so good and so perfect because her smile remains a megawatt smile. And when she brings it out, which doesn't happen a whole lot here, mm-hmm. but it feels so smartly deployed. And that's, again, getting back to this idea of what this show how the show uses her in sort of a star image sort of way and also how she benefits from them sort of playing against her star image as well here um and i think that both of those things come into play but it's also like we also did this in aaron brockovich and we all liked it then this is just sort of a weird sort of inversion of the aaron brockovich yeah yeah and um yeah, I feel like that's a good time to jump into spoilers quickly. So anything else before uh, we go full spoilers for people? No. Go check it out. If, if yeah. whatever we're saying at all is interesting to you, go check it out. I know I was kind of dragging um, S-Mail a, a bit, but it is very stylishly directed. It's very, yeah. uh, it looks like I love the aspect ratio going back to that yes. TV, you know, classic TV ratio and really get giving that close up on the entire face of someone and not just on part of their face or on the background as well. Um, it really, uh, works well. So check it out. Let us know what you think. Okay. Spoilers. Uh, so using Julia Roberts for this kind of a character, 
I think it's brilliant. I think it works so well. I mean, because she's a terrific actress, don't get me wrong, but also it yeah. immediately gives her such credibility and such um, good intent. Like, we just give such goodwill to her because she's Julia yes. Roberts. And then, then the way that that gets broken down over the course of, you know, the first handful of episodes, um, it's terrific. Yeah. So Heidi's going Heidi, and like this point's made like later in this towards the end of the season after Heidi's trying to come to grips with everything that's happened is that Sissy Spacek is just like, well, of course you were doing something really shady. You had three years of experience and they were giving you a massive amount of money. Why did what did you think was happening here? Yeah. Type of thing. And it's just like you're absolutely right in that because of Julie Roberts, we immediately buy into the fact that Heidi legitimately thinks that she's doing something great so when she realizes that they're doping these guys to forget their ptsd experiences so that they can redeploy them mm-hmm. um with basically within six weeks as it turns out is effective enough yeah um that you, her inability to reconcile that just drives the rest of the action forward for the rest of the season but it's also like you legitimately believe that Heidi is this obtuse and this much in denial slash this desperate for a job slash legitimately thought she was going to help these people mm-hmm. that. That you can stay on board with her. You can stay on board with her because it's Julia Roberts. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's, it's great. It's terrific. And it's fun. Like when you're watching it, uh, if you're the kind of TV nerds that we are, cause you're watching it and experiencing the show. And then you're also experiencing yourself clicking into that as you yes. watch, you know, and just go and, and in, like, for me, that was really, really enjoyable. Rather than taking me out of the experience that actually heightened my experience watching it, being like, mm-hmm. oh, you got me on that. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. And then reevaluating as, a, you know, it, it was really fun. Um, I'm looking forward to the last handful of episodes and looking forward to the, the stuff with Shea Wingham. I hope that I would like that character to get more than he does. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I don't quite know exactly what happens other than things come to a head and there's apparently a beautiful kiss off line. Is that where the smile comes in? Uh, no, the smile comes in. Um, there's a second group that gets, uh, ah. that arrives in homecoming and mm-hmm. she goes through the script with them. And then mm-hmm. like it's still in the, um, four by three yeah. at that point. And aspect ratio, I should specify is still in the four by three aspect ratio. So classic Hollywood, um, and television. Um, ratio mm-hmm. and um, the and so you just get to see that smile where she finishes her whole spiel knowing that she's lying to these um, to these service people and then she flashes that she flashes the Robert smile mm-hmm. and it's just like it's just it becomes both a way to reassure these people that they're in the right place but also like this it's basically like a defense mechanism of Heidi's basically. Yeah. And it's just staged really well. But again, it's in that four by three ratio, which is the, basically the first time we've ever seen it in a four by three ratio to a certain degree. Unless yeah. like, I'm trying to remember how much she smiled in Miami vice, how much she smiled in law and order, how much she smiled in friends, mm-hmm. because for all the talk about, Oh yeah, it's the first time on television. It's like, no mother. It's not her first time on television. <laughs> she did some television work prior to this. This is just her first like leading role for television. Let's just let's just pump the brakes just a teeny tiny bit. <laughs> yeah. No. It, the um, it's such a fun choice 
I know I keep coming back to the aspect ratio thing, but like you never see TV or anything in that ratio that's new. Um, and so it just really stands out and it's really fun. Are there any other spoilery things you want to dive in with? Well, I mean, I'd like to tell you how they pay off the aspect ratio thing because they do indeed pay it off, but I'm Go not going it. to tell you. Um, so I think that, well, and this is also like speaking to like the aesthetics and the formalism of it is that, and how well in control they are. The entire idea is that the four by three ratio is limiting mm-hmm. by it's just nature. And like, you don't get to see the whole picture. That's sort of like the thing of like when DVD started rolling out and it was just like, oh, well now you finally get to see the whole picture instead of like the TV crop yeah. basically. And this was what, and I was guilty of this as well, of what a bunch of film snobs kept telling people when they were just, when they bought their DVDs back to Blockbuster and were just like, what's with these black bars? Mm-hmm. It doesn't fill up my TV. It's much smaller because flat screens hadn't like, yeah, wasn't hit a thing the market yet. just yet. Yeah. Um, it wasn't a thing yet. And so, um, the, the whole concept is like the four by three doesn't give you the whole picture. So what ends up happening is that Heidi on the day of dismissal for both herself and for Walter um, gives Walter another serving of the food and then takes another serving for herself, a week six serving. So what ends up happening is that her memory just basically gets wiped for the, for basically the last six weeks. But to dramatize that happening to her, we go from a the widescreen format that we've been using for the flashbacks morphs into a four by three as the effects of the drugs kick in on her while she's sitting in her car. So suddenly she's boxed in, not able to remember and experience, not able to get the whole picture, basically. And that's how they sort of dramatize that. And it's a really good payoff. Like... And it's really it's really subtly done in part because it happens in a nighttime sequence in her car, so you you don't quite you notice it happening, but at the same time it's also done in like a little bit of a push zoom as well. So it's a really it's a really technical sort of thing that they end up pulling off, but it works really really well, and it pays off like this idea of doing instead of doing the past in a four by three, which would have made sort of like logistical sort of sense narrative Mm -hmm. sort of sense and instead doing the present in a four by three in a four to three i should say um that morphing it like that i think is just really effective and it's probably like one of my favorite bits of something that i've seen aesthetically in a while and i really really liked that yeah i'm a sucker for a well deployed uh aspect ratio change I mean, like we, Grand Budapest Hotel and, you yeah, know. we both are. I mean, Samurai Jack just knew how to use those so Absolutely. well. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, any final thoughts on, on Homecoming? Do you want them to make a season two? I don't think that they need a season two. Um, and so I don't need one and I certainly don't want one. Um, the way that this resolves, like you can't, you'd have to do another type of story. Um, and I don't necessarily know that I need to see another sort of business military sort of corruptness type of thing um, play out. Um, So no, I think I'm okay with just this one season. Um, I think that based on the fact that not a lot of people are sort of talking about this to a certain degree, um, in part because um, it's on Amazon 
And also in part because, for whatever reason, the Romanoffs is sucking up a lot of oxygen. Who gives a fuck? But is anybody saying anything positive about the Romanoffs? No! No one is saying anything positive about the Romanoffs. But it's still sucking up a weird amount of the oxygen, and I don't know why. Um, Mm -hmm. And also the fact that, like, just anything Netflix does immediately gets more attention than Amazon. Um, I don't think that... I think that whether or not this gets another sort of season hinges on their awards type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we'll see. Um, one last thing I do want to mention is, oh boy, I can't see the Universal Studios backlot anymore, Kate. I just can't. I can't do it anymore. <laughs> like when Walter and Schreier go to the bad, to go to the good place that yeah. turns out to be the retirement yeah. center slash the standoff <laughs> place for reverie in that one dream in that one sequence mm-hmm. where it was like uh some sort of civil war in south america yeah. it's just like yeah i can't i can't do the universal backlot anymore kate because i just immediately assume they're in the bad place yeah <laughs> which would you know really work with that episode too yes yeah 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 no i feel yeah um yeah that was i was a little tickled by that that was yeah yeah i was i admittedly i was tickled too but it's also clearly not a meta commentary because that's just too much no (laughs) it's it's i'm enjoying this but i'm not supposed to be right now so oops (laughs) that's funny thank you for mentioning that i would have forgotten to bring that up um so that then i guess wraps up our deep dive with with homecoming and yeah again listeners let us know what you thought If if you've checked this one out yet and if you're listening this far and you haven't check it out clearly you're interested and it's 10 episodes around a half an hour each episode you can watch that in a weekend if you're not transcribing mary did you know so uh yeah it it, i I, this is one of the ones that is a new like a new show this year that i think i'll be considering it towards the end of the year i don't know that it's in my top 20 but it's one i'm gonna remember yeah i think that's fair i think that's super fair yeah um, a few show notes here at the end of the episode. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org. You can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. Uh, chime in with Vince's thoughts on Daredevil and let us know what you think about that, as well as, of course, what we talked about this week. Um, you can also email us at televerse at gmail.com. You can like our page on Facebook, start up a conversation there. You can find us in iTunes with an M4A chaptered feed and MP3 unchaptered feed. We're also up in Stitcher. We'd appreciate ratings and reviews either place. It helps people find the show and lets us know that you're listening. Um, then, of course, you can. Can hit us up on Twitter. I am at the Televerse, and Noel, you are. I am at Noel RK, and you can also subscribe to my uh, newsletter at tinyletter.com/slash spaghetti on Tuesday. Yes, it's delightful. I'm very much oh, enjoying it so you. far. Yeah. Yes, it's well, there's only been two things. Um, so. But still, two for two. Very yeah, nice. okay. Thank That's you. two more than I've done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and on that note, thank you, Noel. Thank you, Kate. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. Mm-hmm.